and today is a, is kind of a special day. Uh, again, I remember when I was, ooh boy, 22, 23, 24, and the uh, first time I ever preached, uh, you know, on a real Sunday morning, it was actually a Sunday night, and like I said, it was all over the place. Wow, what a, what a nightmare it was. <laughs> but underneath there, there was something, and that something has taken me for the next, whatever, 25 years of my life. So, uh, in any case, we're so blessed to have Gavin Petter with us. He is our uh, winter intern. He comes from Master's College and Seminary in Peterborough, Ontario, uh, doing a BTH, I believe it is, and he's a fourth-year student. So part of what they do is they give these students an internship, and he has been a fantastic blessing to us already. I have him serving two days a week with me over at Mission Nouvelle Génération. He's got a fantastic attitude. People just don't want him to leave. They want him to stay forever. Uh, I'm hoping he will decide to change his mind and maybe God will speak to him while he's here, you know, and he's just going to say, I've, loved, I've fallen in love with Quebec and I'm going to stay in Quebec forever. We'll see. Uh, but this is part of what he has to do. So I figured I would throw him right into the fire. And, um, and you know, this is, this is it. And he, he has an interest in church planting in an urban context, feels a, a tug uh, in his own heart, and that's why he's here today. So uh, without further ado, would you please welcome this morning our winter Bible college intern, Gavin Petter. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> it's nice to meet you guys. It was nice to meet a lot of you guys last week. I enjoyed that. And I'm excited after church today to hopefully get to meet you guys some more. Now, I hope you're comfortable um, because you'll be sitting here for the next hour and a half if I follow in Pastor Joe's footsteps. <laughs> I'll try to keep it a little shorter than that, but we'll see how it goes. Um, before I start, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about myself, because you probably don't know me very well yet, and I want to get to know you guys, so I'll start by letting you get to know me. So I'm in my fourth year at Master's College and Seminary, studying to become a pastor. I felt called to ministry when I was 14 years old at summer camp, and since then I've just pursued this call. And even since then, God's really pushed me even in the direction of church planting, especially in an urban context, just because I see so many people there who need Christ, and the missions field is so, so big, and discipleship is so important. And so the more churches we have serving people, the more churches we have discipling people, the greater results we're going to see for the kingdom. And yeah, so that's, that's a bit about me. I also love hockey. Um, I'm a Leafs fan, so I'm sorry if any of you are Canadians fans. Really sorry for you right now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, my girlfriend right now is currently on an exchange in London, so we're both kind of navigating this new season of what God's bringing us through away from home, and it's going really well, seeing God grow us a lot. So that's been good. And yeah, so I'm excited to start my sermon, but before we do that, let's just pray together quickly. Dear God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to just come into your presence and just sit before you and learn about you, God. I pray that as we open the scriptures this morning, 
you would, through your Holy Spirit, reveal your truth to us. Lord, would you soften our hearts, soften our minds before you to just learn of you and know you. And God, would you help us as we talk about soul detox to actually detox our souls, to actually choose life in you, God. So Lord, today as I speak, would it not be my words, but would it be your words, God? And would each of us learn something about you more, God? And would each of us be spurred into action? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, um, last week and the week before that, Pastor Joe talked a little bit about detox. He talked about detox of the mind and detox of the body. So when he was talking about detox of the mind, one of the things he said that we need to do is take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And for detox of the body, he said to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God and to be temples of the Holy Spirit and the implications of that. Now, this week, as we talk about soul detox, I don't want you guys to forget what we talked about the previous two weeks, because they're very important in the process of detoxing our souls as well. And so, this message is kind of oriented towards all of us, I would say, um, because I think we all have times in our life where we feel like our life is being tossed back and forth like the disciples in the sea in the gospel message. Um, and it's easy in those moments of being tossed back and forth by everything that's coming at you in the world. It's easy to lose focus of what our life is actually for. And it's easy to lose our hope, give up hope. And so today, in order to kind of navigate those seas together, we're going to talk about getting rid of the waves around us, losing sight of those, and focusing on Christ, and how that will actually help us in our life. So to do that, we're going to talk about the soul. But before we get into the sermon text, the text today, so that you can get a head start if you have a Bible or a phone and want to get there, the text for today is Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. But just before we get into that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the soul actually is. Because I think we all have a perception of what we think the soul is. But before we look at Bible passages that actually talk about the soul, I want us to understand what they mean when they talk about the soul. So the text we're learning from today mentions suke, which is the Greek word for soul, four times in the text. So that means that it's very important in this text. The emphasis of the text is the soul. But it mentions suke in two different words. Um, so first, it says suke in the context of life twice. And then after that, it uses the word suke to mean soul. And so there's a tie between life and soul that we see in this context. And so we kind of want to know what do they mean then if they're using soul and life interchangeably? What does that mean for us? So the Greek word suke actually means living, breathing creature. So the, what that means is living, breathing creature. That kind of summarizes the whole person the essence of who they are. 
your life, your breath, and your creatureness, who you are. The soul means your being. Um, in Hebrew, the word for soul, which is continuous throughout scripture, is nefesh. And so what nefesh means, believe it or not, is it means throat. Now you might be asking, how does the soul have anything to do with the throat? Those are two very different things. Um, but the context in which it's used in the Old Testament, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your nefesh, all of your throat or all of your soul. So why did they use the word nefesh to mean soul? They, they used throat to mean soul because their, vi their view of that, their imagery was that everything that goes into the body and everything that comes out of the body passes through the throat of the person. So in that sense, the throat is the center of the person. And so what they mean when they say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul, is to love God with the entirety of who you are. And so your soul is your essence. Everything that passes through you makes you who you are. And so when we talk about detox of the soul, we're talking about cleansing, detoxing, taking the toxins out of the essence of who we are. And so our Mark 8 passage is going to help us to know why we should detox our soul. Um, so let's read this together. Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. It says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, suke, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, suke, for me and for the gospel, will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul, their essence, their being, their life, their suke? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. And so now that we know what the soul is, that it's the essence of who we are, that it's all of who we are, that it's what we're made up of, um, we can understand this passage in a new light. So God is making us choose in this passage, Jesus is saying, you must choose the world or you must choose me. You either use your life, if you want to save your life in the world, if you want to save your suke, who you are in the world, you're ultimately going to lose your suke, your soul, who you are. The reason for that being is that God is your creator. God created you to delight in him. As we choose the world over him, we actually lose what we were created for, what our greatest delight will be. We actually give in to the world and become the world. We lose our life, and our life is now the world's. But it says, whoever loses their soul, who they are for me, whoever entirely surrenders who they are to God, will, gain, will save their life. The reason for that is Jesus Christ 
died on our behalf so that we could live in him, be cleansed of the world, have the world ridden of us so that we can be whole, so that we can fully live in Christ. So as we reject the world and all of the things it offers us, we receive life, the life God intended for us, the life that will lead to our greatest satisfaction, our greatest rejoicing in Christ. And so we must, but it says here that we must die to ourselves. We must lay down our soul. We must lose who we are in this world. And that's a process. Um, so there's a few notes on here. So there's no partiality in this choice. There's no um, partially ridding yourself of the world and living for Christ and getting all of the benefits of living for Christ. No, it says either you're going to lose your life or you're going to lose your life and thus gain your life. You can't do both. You can't juggle the world and God because the world is always going to crush the joy that God has for you in him as long as you're living in it. So you either gain God or you gain the world. And the world is a total loss because you lose your whole life in the process. So in trying to keep our life for the world, we actually lose what we were created for and will never truly be satisfied. If a person does not, this is what this passage also reveals to us. If a person does not make the best of this world um, <clears throat> by finding God in this world and living for him, they will not make the best of the world to come in the next life. Nor will they make anything of it, it says, because you'll lose your life in the process. So in our text, the question is between finding pleasures in this world apart from God or finding God in this world and all of our pleasures in him. That's a very important choice to make. And so what does, what does the world offer us? Well, what can we gain by giving up our life for the world and losing our life to the world? Well, we can gain the riches of the world, but in... Um, in Mark 10:22, we see that those aren't going to satisfy us. In, Mark, in that Mark passage, 10:22, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, "I've done. I have followed you completely. I have followed all of your commandments. What do I need to do?" And Jesus says, "You need to sell everything for me, and then you can follow me." And as long as he had the riches in that world, in this world. He couldn't fully devote himself to Christ. There was something missing there because his treasure was in his treasure. That makes sense. Yeah, his treasure was in his treasures. And so that sacrifice of giving those up was too much. So if you gain riches in this world, those things are going to die with you. That's not going to last. What else do we gain if we gain the world? We might gain the honors and the fame of the world. We might be liked by other people, well-known. We might be above everyone else in another tier. But the Bible also says something about that. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who exiled the um, Jewish people into his kingdom, he had all the fame in the world. He had people bowing down to him and worshiping him. Yet, one day, 
God drove him crazy. And then he went away from all of that and he lost all of his fame in a moment because God is sovereign. God is in control. If we find our fame in the world, we're going to lose our life. We might also look for it in the pleasures of this world. But again, those things are temporary. You can tell me, I can tell you. Whenever I've sought the pleasures of the things of this world, it lasts for a moment and then I'm needing more and needing more and needing more and it's never enough. And so instead of chasing those pleasures, we should die to them and instead seek God who has pleasures eternally for us in him, in knowing him. So in light of why we should detox our soul, I hope you guys are on the same page with me now in desire of detoxing your soul because I know after reading this passage, I fell on my face before God and I said, wow, I just need to follow you. I need to let these other things behind because they're not going to satisfy. But now we want to know what soul detox is. How do we detox our soul? Um, so a detox of the soul based on this passage we read, is removing the, tox the toxins or the desire for other things other than God, which seek to take our life in order that we may seek God with our whole life and enjoy the fullness of communion and relationship with our Father who loved us and died for us. And this inevitably translates to the life to come as well because the things we choose now are going to last with us eternally. Those circumstances don't change, but it also has great implications on the way we live our lives now. Um, and one of the reasons that I talked about what our soul is, is because I wanted to keep us away from, there was a view in the first century uh, AD uh, called Gnosticism. And what that view was, was that the soul and the body were completely separated. You could go on sinning with your body, doing whatever you want with your body, um, but your soul was going to be purified. Your soul was saved for heaven. But that's not the case. The soul is everything that goes into you, everything you absorb. And so the body is closely tied to the soul. They are separate, but the body affects the soul. And so the choices we make with our body affect our soul. And so we should do all we can to live in the one who promises to give our whole being rest, peace, the one who will satisfy our souls in him. Because the suffering and the discipline that it takes to follow him is so much greater than losing our lives to the world. So how do we actually do this? How do we give up the world and receive Christ? Um, this is actually a passage that has guided me a lot of my life and that I've looked at millions of times. The passage is Psalm 119, verse 9 to 16, and it gives us some advice on how we can actually go through the process of detoxing our souls, ridding it of the toxins of this world that seek to destroy us, that seek to bring us down with the world. This is what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. 
With my lips, I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. So there's four things that this passage teaches us about soul detox and how we can detox our soul. We can put them up on the screen. So the first thing it teaches us is to seek God. I'll get into that in a second. The second thing it teaches us is to cast off distractions from God. Actually detox your soul. Take the toxins out. Third, it teaches us if we want to purify our souls before God, that we should memorize God's word. I'll get into that in detail too. And then fourth, it teaches us that in order to cleanse ourselves of the things of this world, we are to rejoice in God and actually delight in the freedom he's given us. So let's break this down a little bit. So the first point is seek God. Verse 10 says, with all of my heart, I have sought you. So the first step here is that we, if we want to cleanse ourselves of the things of this world, we have to actually have something that motivates us more than the things of this world. So in order to detox our souls, we must seek God with all of our heart. The heart here in the passage refers to the desires that we have. So how do we turn our desires to God? Well, by loving him. You desire what you love the most, and you're going to pursue that thing that you love the most. So that means for our souls to be pure, our first love must be God himself. And why should we love God, you ask? Well, he created us with a purpose. He formed you in your mother's womb before you were created. He loves you. He loves you so much, in fact, that he sent his only begotten son, who is God himself, to die for your sins so that you could be reconciled to him, even though we've done nothing to deserve it. He loves us that much. And with that love that he has for us and the blessings and the promises he promises along with that that show that he is our father, our good provider, how could we not love him most in the world? Even when we hated him, he loved us. We can't love like that. There's nothing in the world that loves like that or provides for us like he does as our father in heaven. So we should love God. And to do this, We need to know who he is. So how do we do that? We know who God is by reading his word, which declares who he is and who we are in relation to him. And that is how we begin this first step of the soul detox, by seeking after God. Seek him in his word. Seek to know who he is so that you can actually fall in love with him. And as you fall in love with him, seek to know him more and delight in him more and more every single day, because as you do that, he promises life, true life, not the life hindered from the world. So the best way to fight temptation and to detox our souls, to chase after God who is life. It's really hard to just cut things out of your life. It's a lot easier to chase something else instead. So instead of chasing those things or just cutting them off, chase after God first and foremost. 
And then the second thing this passage tells us is to cast off all distractions from him. Actually detox your soul. Get rid of the toxins in your life. And I was reading this really good article actually about this, and it gave four key areas of our lives that we need to detox, and it tells us how to detox them. And you'll see in the passage in verse 10, it says, do not let me wander from your commandments. So what causes us to wander from commandments? It's desires for other things. So we have to cast those out, cast off those distractions and seek God. So the four categories of things that distract us um, and that we have to detox are our heart, our eyes, our words, and our actions. Now, what does that mean? Our heart is our feelings and our desires. Our eyes are the things that we take in, the things that actually influence us. And our words are the things that we speak over other people, which have the power of life and death, it says in the scriptures. And our actions can choose to follow God or choose to follow the world. So we must cast off, first off, the things of our heart that cause us to wander from God. We must cast off the feelings that are opposed to God. We can't effectively fight the Lord's battles while neglecting the ones that are in our heart. We have to come before God on our knees in prayer, repenting and asking him to purify our hearts before him, that he can be our desire. We must reset our hearts because oftentimes in our own pursuit of holiness, we're doing it out of a sense of self-righteousness. We want people to think that we're holy. That doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> if people think you're holy, that doesn't mean anything. You want to be right before God. So cast off that false idea that by you appearing holy to others, that means anything in God's sight. Instead, fall on your knees, repent, seek after God. Cut off the parts of your heart that are opposed to God. Actually, Tell God what you're upset about if you're upset at him. Pour out your heart to him. That's what's going to change things. The Pharisees in the Bible were a good example of people who looked holy and righteous, but their hearts were far from God. We don't want our hearts to be far from God, so we have to cut off those selfish motivations in our heart, the feelings opposed to God. If we're anxious, if we're depressed, if we're worried, if we're fearful, if we're struggling, rather than looking self-righteous, fall on your knees, give that to God. Let him be in control of your feelings. Psalm 26 verse 2 says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Refine it. That means that the psalmist wants God to actually change his heart before him, to make sure that he's setting his heart on him. And Psalm 19, verse 12 to 13, tells us how we can sometimes be more lenient with ourselves and our own heart. It says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous lies. Let sin not have dominion over me. And so what's this saying is there's hidden faults that we have in our hearts. We can sin even with our hearts. So we have to cast off those hidden faults. Ask God to show them to you and he will be faithful to show you those things that are opposed to him in your heart and let him deal with them. So these things that are in our heart are what give root to every other bitterness, every other evil, the worst of evils. 
So we have to, to detox, to cast things off first. Remember these four things. First, detox your heart. Check your heart. Let your heart be still before God. Check your heart. See what's in it and make it right before God. Second, our eyes. We have to watch the things that we take in with our eyes. Verse 12 and 15. Oh, let me get to that passage. Verse 12 and 15 talk about God teaching us statutes, um, meditating on his precepts, and fixing our eyes on him, taking in him instead of taking in the things of the world. So cast off the things in your life that cause you to stumble. Do not view things that are going to cause you to stumble. Don't listen to things that are going to cause you to stumble because the fact of the matter is those things have much greater influence over our lives than we admit. The things I listen to, I start speaking the things that I listen to, speaking like those things. I start acting like those. If I'm watching uh, videos that show certain worldly actions, I'm, I follow those sometimes. I have to cast those off so that I can follow Christ and my joy is complete in him. So amidst the million things we look to, the psalmist reminds us where to set our gaze. Like a broken compass with wrong bearings, we will inevitably wander if our eyes are set on the wrong thing. So we must make sure that our compass is right, that our eyes are set on the right thing, that we're going in the right direction. Psalm 119 verse 37 says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. That's an active thing to cast off, cast off the things that distract you. And I love this. A theologian called Albert Barnes once said, make, or this was his prayer actually, make my eyes to pass rapidly from such objects that I may not look at them, may not contemplate them, may not dwell upon them. That is such an important thing in our fight with our flesh, is to not look to the things that are going to lead us astray. Um, Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. As we let him be in front of us, the Lord our God, as he's in front of us, that's who we're going to follow. So set him before you. How do you do that? You read his word. How do you stop yourself from following other things? You stop watching those videos that lead you to do certain things. You stop listening to the music that leads you to sin. And that sounds like a big thing. But in light of what's at stake here, life and death, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Third thing we need to cast off or be careful of and detox is our words Verse 13 and 14 talk about him repeating and delighting in the testimonies of God, saying the things of God. We have to, so here what it shows us is the words that we say speak life or death. If we speak of Christ, we're naturally going to be motivated to look to Christ and to look at him and think of him and to do things that lead to eternal pleasure and glory in him and satisfaction for our souls. But if we speak death over people, if we always gossip, if we're always into drama, if we're always into everything that hurts other people's and ourselves, that's going to affect us. That's going to affect our priorities. That's going to affect our joy. What joy do you have gossiping about people? 
What joy is there in speaking negatively of other people? These are people created by God. As you speak life into them, you experience the life God has for you. You experience the love he has for his created beings. Psalm 19 verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So may our lips always remember to speak and draw people to our rock and our redeemer because that is where hope is. And finally, our actions. Verse 9 and 11, oh sorry, verse 11 and 16 regard our actions. Um, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. These are actions. And we must be careful to cast off sinful actions. And again, like we talked about at the start, when you're in the midst of the stormy seas, when everything seems to be falling in on you, I beg you, don't retreat into yourself. That is our first thought, is to our first instinct is to retreat, avoid what's going on. But as we do this, we pull away from the heaviness and stop rowing towards God. And we forget that God's way might not end up ending the storm, but rather he might give us the strength to row forwards towards him in our weariness, in our weakness. And that's why I'm saying there's going to be suffering in this life. But as we have God on our side, we have the strength to keep going, to keep rowing, and there is life at the end of that rowing. I heard a good analogy once that our relationship with God is like a river. If we stop paddling, we're going to be swept away. But as long as we keep pursuing him and seeking him and swimming towards him, we get to know him more. We get closer to the goal. We swim upstream and we grow. And so let us not retreat and let us not be sinful with our actions. This is the last step because in order to actually be able to act in a certain way, you have to have already looked into your heart and seen what your motivations are. You have to have already looked at what you're looking to and what's influencing you. And you have to already be speaking life because your actions are the things that reflect your heart and who you are. So act according to God, serve God. As you serve God, there's so much greater joy than in retreating or in acting sinfully. Those things aren't going to satisfy you. That anger outburst isn't going to satisfy you. It's just going to leave you just as empty as you were before. Instead, serve God and see as he brings people into your life to encourage you the change that he can make in you. Psalm 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's an action. We have to actually do it. And as we do it, we'll see the life he has for us. So those are the four things. Remember this, heart, eyes, words, actions. That's how you detox. That's how you cast off the things of this world. What you believe in your heart, that's gonna, if you believe things against God, contrary to God, those are going to persuade you. Cast that off with your eyes. If you look to things that emulate the world, you're going to follow after the world. Cast that off. If you speak things that are of the world, you're going, your heart overflows through your words. You're already chasing things of the world, 
Rather, speak life and speak what God has for you. Remember the promises he has. And finally, act according to God, to the love he's had for you, to the salvation he's given you. And let that change you. So there's two more points um, to this verse and how these help us to detox. So those are the casting off parts. So first, seek God. Second, cast off distractions, heart, eyes, words, actions. Third, this one's short, meditate and memorize scripture. Because um, verse 13 says, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I will medit-, and verse 16 says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. The best way to fight temptation in the midst of it is to memorize God's word. If you're tempted in that moment, if you've memorized God's word and you've let it affect you, you're going to be led by his word. That's going to pop into your mind. Holy Spirit's going to bring to remembrance the things that he's taught you. He's going to remind you, no, you shouldn't be doing that probably. Or, like I said, rather than casting things off, it's about chasing after God. He's going to say, no, why are you chasing that? Chase this instead. Chase God. Chase the good I have for you, the life I have for you. Experience life. So memorize scripture. That's going to help you detox your soul, who you are, your essence. And then finally, when you've sought after God, when you've allowed seeking after him and him becoming the first love in your life, when you've allowed that to affect you to the point of casting off actions that um, prevent you from living in him, prevent you from seeking after him, and then when you've memorized scripture to also help you with that, remember what the passage says. You receive life, our Mark passage. You will gain life. And so that means rejoicing in God. That is the final part. And actually, that is the picture of a soul detox. That is the result of it, rejoicing in God. Verse uh, 13, oh, sorry, verse 16 ends by saying, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I delight in your statutes. I delight in what you've asked me to do. How can someone delight in rules? Well, God seeks relationship. It's not the rules that are important. It's the relationship that matters. As we pursue that, we can rejoice in the relationship we have with God, in who he said we are, in who he has created us to be. He's the one who has redeemed us, and he has not redeemed us to be a hindrance to us. He's redeemed us so that our joy can be complete in him, he desires our joy to be complete. He loves us that much. The purpose of detoxing our souls is for joy and freedom. Christ has already set us free. Now rejoice in the freedom he's given us, which keeps us from being weighed down by our heavy souls and which has freed us from the weight of our shame for when we fail in detoxing our souls. Don't think Christ doesn't know that you're going to fail, that I'm going to fail. He knows. That's why he died for us, so that he could cover our sins. But the one who has been saved and received salvation seeks to detox their soul because they know 
that the joy God has for them, the joy of the eternal and of the everlasting, is so much greater than the joy that the world can offer. That is temporary. That doesn't last. So with our voices, with our hearts, with our minds, we can rejoice in God knowing that he has redeemed us for a good purpose, to be whole, to be made new in him, to be redeemed for eternity, to delight in him, to know the God who loves us, who died for us, who gives good gifts to us, who has created us uniquely for a purpose to serve him. Delight in all that he has done and all that he is doing. And so as we close today, I just want to encourage you guys, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This week has been tough for me. I've realized as I prepared for this message the things in my life that distract me from God. The attitudes I have, the things I watch, the things I do, the things I listen to, I've realized that those have been speaking death over me. And because I've been following those things and allowed them to take the seat of my heart, I've been distracted from the life of God. And as I've started detoxing those things and seeking God, reading his word, not just to read it, but to know him, to know his desires for us, to know who I am in him. As I've done that, the joy in my heart has been complete. And I just can't wait to see my father, to see my Lord return in all of his glory to live with him for eternity. That is joy. So this isn't a hindrance to you. Cast off the things that distract you. Seek God. Know his word and then rejoice in him. And that's not a command. That rejoicing is going to come naturally when you do these things. So let's just pray together as we go. I'm sorry, that was probably long. I don't know. I wasn't looking at the time, but let's pray together. Oh, God of mercy, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your steadfast hand in our lives. Lord, thank you that you created us with a purpose, and that purpose is to delight in you and glorify you. Thank you for having our best interests in mind as you've written your word over the centuries. God, I pray over every person here that they would seek you first and receive your kingdom as they do so, God. Lord, would you turn our hearts from sorrow, from following the things of the world to hearts that rejoice in you, hearts of rejoicing, Oh God, we know that our souls are important. So Lord, would you change the very essence of our being so that we may have our joy complete in you, that our souls may be satisfied. Lord, may we surrender this world, this life that we've built for ourselves in order that we may have fullness of life in you.
We love you, God. And we just ask for you to do what only you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.